Or if you didn't like the main message of that song, you're not going to enjoy my preaching. Well, it's great to be here with you. Again, my name is Tim Pitzer. I'm the youth and family uh, life pastor here. So if I haven't met you, I am very much an extrovert. So please invite me over, invite me for coffee. Um, yeah, we'd love to meet uh, everyone here. So it's a privilege to be here. Um, it's funny, people often ask like, if I get nervous to preach, and typically I don't, but kind of my method for that is I'm picturing you all as middle school and high school students. So none of you have gray hair, you all have you know, hair, so I don't know if that's encouragement to you, but uh, that's how we do this. So um, taking a little bit of a break on a one-off sermon here for what I'm doing, so we're going to be in the book of Colossians. We're looking at Colossians 3, 1 through 5 this morning. Sorry, 1 through 4, even shorter, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. So hear the word of the Lord to you this morning that stands apart from every other voice that you're going to hear. It says, And if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord is forever. Let's pray. God, we come to you now, great King, giver of life, the one who we know salvation is only found in you, God. We come as a sinful people. We come as a worn-out people. We come as ones who look for assurance and look for peace in so many other ways other than in you alone, God. And I pray for us this morning that through your word, you would remind us who is on the throne. You would remind us of where salvation comes from. You would remind us of who we are because of the words that we read in your, your word, because of the songs that we're singing. God, do this. We know that you do this and all that you ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I can't claim myself as a movie buff because I think in order to be like a movie buff, you have to actually like quality movies. I'm not willing to admit some of my favorite movies, but uh, kind of the same patterns are in all movies, right? So in the beginning, you've got like an introduction to the characters, you know, maybe a little plot development, setting the scene. And then in every movie, at least every good movie, you have some kind of problem, right? You have some kind of, of tension and, and you're watching and you're thinking, okay, like, how are they going to get out of this one, right? And then eventually, in the movie, again, a good movie, there's a resolve to it. There's an answer. There's a, here's a solution. Here's, here's how this wrong is made right. And as I was reading Colossians, our passage this morning, reflecting on this, I thought, that's actually a pattern for also what we're facing right now in this life. We're born, and quickly, very quickly, we see a problem. We see a disconnect. We see brokenness. And we as Christians know that this is labeled as sin, right? That we have, we have sinned before God, that we have brokenness between God and one another. And sometimes I think we're tempted to use the world's fixes for a sin problem, right? We, we know that maybe we wouldn't admit this is true, but, but we look to what the world would say, hey, here's how you get through this life encouraged. Here's how you get through this life happy. Um, make more money, right? Uh, uh, find, find a status. Find who you are. Maybe your identity and your job. Be well-liked by people. Have, have relationships. Have respect. Have power. 
As Christians, we know that that's not the solution, and yet I think sometimes we borrow from the world's solution there. You see, Paul was actually dealing with that same thing here in Colossians. Uh, uh, Colossians, this church was actually founded by Paul was, was preaching in Ephesus, and there was a man, Epaphras, who heard Paul's preaching. He went back to his town, and he shared the good news. He shared the solution, and he started sharing it and he shared the good news of Christ. And then a false teaching came in. And so now he's back with Paul. He's explaining where things are. He's explaining. And Paul is responding to this false teaching. And really the answer that Paul is giving is he's answering a question. And it's this. Is Christ enough? Is Christ enough? You see, the teaching that, that slipped into the, the Colossians was... There was this man, it seems, was claiming to have some kind of like higher spiritual authority, some kind of like insight into the kingdom of heaven. And so he could kind of give them different advice and he could, he could say things about God. And Paul is coming and he's saying, I didn't stutter. It's still by Christ alone. And so before our passage, Colossians 1 and 2, the chapters are all about how Christ is, is, is enough, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is laying it out and saying that the, the solution is still the same. It is Christ. And so Paul is answering this. And in our passage, I think Paul does this in three ways. If you're a note taker, I always have three points. First, and the biggest point that's throughout all three, is that Paul says, look up. He doesn't actually say it, but I think that's a summary of what he's saying. He's saying, look up for the solution. And he's saying, do this in three ways. First, he says, look up to see who you are, look up to see what to do now, and look up to see where you're going. Look up to see who you are, look up to see what to do now, and look up to see where you're going. So first, look up to see who you are. This first verse, Paul jumps in, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Sometimes we, we see these words, they're common in Scripture, if, then, and we can think that the writer is trying to cause like doubt, saying, I don't know, if, if this is you, that's actually also translated like, therefore. So Paul is saying, therefore, in light of everything I just said, therefore, if you have been, since you have been raised with Christ. And we know that only those who have been raised with Christ are believers, right? So Paul is saying, listen up, church. If you are a professor of Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, I want your attention, right? And then he goes on to say, seek the things that are above. He's saying, if, if you're a Christian, here's what I want you to do. Seek the things that are above. And, and the seek is more than just like, look, right? It's actually better translated, it's a, it's a desire to possess, like desire to possess something. With everything, with all of your being, desire to possess what? Desire to possess the things that are above. This means that for Christians, our greatest encouragement is not found here on earth. I had a student um, when I was a youth pastor in Hilton Head made me, um, as I was leaving, this, this kind of, she painted this plaque, and it was a quote from C.S. Lewis, and I'm sure you've all heard before, right? This is a, a very common quote. It says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, 
the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. In other words, for the believer, if you have searched all of this earth, if you have looked down and you can continue to not find something that is going to consistently encourage you, that's never going to look, that's never going to give you what you need, then you've got to look somewhere else. And what do you do? You look up. And what do you find when you look up in this world? Look at the text. It says, what you find is Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. You can probably guess that that is very important <laughs> to this sermon. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why does it matter that Christ is seated at the right hand of God? What difference does it make that Christ is seated at the right hand of God? This is one of my, my favorite things to study, to think about. It's because of our union with Christ. Our union, our connectedness with Christ, that's why it matters the position where Christ is, that he's at the right hand of God. Our union with Christ. John Calvin says this about union with Christ. It is to be accorded as the highest degree of importance. For this is the design of the gospel, that Christ may become ours and that we may be engrafted into his body. Earlier on in Colossians 1, it says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. I love this. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope. The only hope that you're ever going to encounter, and it's not found here on earth. Next, Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That last part in Corinthians, how do we become the righteousness of God? By being in him. So union with Christ is more than just a theological concept to study. It is the basis that makes us Christians. It is, it is what allows us to be able to look to the heavens and see the significance of why Christ is seated at the right hand of God because we are in him. And if we are in him, 2 Corinthians says, here's what you get. You get the righteousness of God. And that is the solution to this movie of life. Sorry to be cliche, but what we are struggling with, that's why this is a message for those who are worn out, for those who have searched Every, every other capacity that this culture is trying to say, here, try this. Here, try more money. Here, try to see if your 401k can grow right now. Good luck. Here, try to see if your, your political party will give you deliverance. Here, try to see if this law being passed will satisfy you. Here, try to see if your kids will give you all the joy that you ever need, or your spouse, or a house. Paul is saying, no, it has always been and always will be being in Christ. Because what being in Christ offers is a righteousness that is not our own, and that is what we lost, and that is what we need. Paul offers this desperately to the Colossians who are looking to the earthly things to satisfy. As we think about union in Christ, three quick ways. We look to union with Christ in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. Real quick, in his life. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before. It bears repeating Christ in his life did what we couldn't do, right? We had perfect fellowship with God. We fell in sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. So we have a righteousness problem. 
All the Old Testament is starting to kind of give us pictures of how is it that a holy God is going to be restored to sinful man, right? In case you didn't know, that is what Scripture is answering. How is the solution going to be brought that we as sinful people will be restored in right fellowship to God? Romans 5.17 answers what Christ did standing in our place, living the perfect life. For if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? But he didn't only live, he died, right? This phrase, uh, have died later in verse 3 in our passage, is the same in the Greek as another passage from Romans 6. It says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. What this means then is that when Christ died on the cross, and, and this is one of those things where we, we have, to, under, we have to, to believe it, we're never fully going to understand it this side of heaven, I think, that what it means that in the death of Christ, we were united with him, that our union with Christ does not stop in his life, but we went to, with Christ on a cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, again, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And how do we become the righteousness of God? By the resurrection. I think I shared this last time, but it bears repeating of embarrassing myself. One time in seminary, our professor said, All right, I want you to write out like the gospel message. Pretend you're talking to someone who has no idea of church or religion or anything. And so we wrote, you know, in the beginning, God created, and, and man fell in sin, and, um, and Jesus came, lived the perfect life, and he, he claimed to be God, and he, he died on the cross, right? And you can probably forget, uh, no, and we said the resurrection, but what we didn't, none of us said, out of like 25 people, none of us said, and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And as you think about how is it that we continue to have the righteousness of God, it's because we have an advocate who continues to sit at the right hand of God the Father. So as we bring all this together, why is this significant? Why does it matter that Christ is where he says he is? It's because if you are united to him in his life, death, and resurrection, then you are still, hear that, still united to him where he sits right now. That's kind of weird. That that even though you're sitting here, that you are actually united to Christ in another place as he sits at the right hand of God. Paul, Paul is connecting this with the Colossians who are, who are saying, we want more like right now. We, we want to be able to have someone who can give us access, who maybe can kind of tell us some prophecies about God. And Paul is saying, you have and always will more than you need to be able to have access to God the Father. It's still Christ. It's still because he's sitting at the right hand of God, and here's what this makes you. When you look up and you see Christ sitting at the right hand of God, you see that you're a child of God. That is who you are, period. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. But because of what Christ did, your identity is you're a child of God. And in case you need reminding about what this means, here's what this means. Romans 8:31. we can say this with Paul. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he will, 
how will he not also with him give us graciously all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, this is what this gives you, ready, listen, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me clarify, because I really don't want to go to point two without you getting this, okay? Here's what this means. This is found by, in Scripture, um, there's, there's indicative and there's imperative statements, right? The indicative is the truth. The imperative is, here's what you do. And in this passage, you have to get the truth statements before you can understand what Paul is telling us to do in point two. Here's the indicative, right? Here's the truth statements Paul says throughout these four verses. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. These are not things for you to do. These are things for you to rest in, right? Now, here's the imperative. Here's the do. In light of those, here's what Paul is saying to do. Seek things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, and do not use your mind, uh, do not set your mind on earthly things. So that's how we look up to see who we are. Here's how we look up to see what to do now. Verse 2 says, now set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Again, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul is kind of anticipating the question, okay, that's great, but like, what do we do now? Right? Pretend you're, you're a Colossian, you've been admonished, You've had the false teaching kind of read, and you're thinking, okay, well, now what? Paul is kind of anticipating with us, if you're like me, sometimes I read these glorious truths in the Scripture, and I think that's great. I have union with Christ. He's sitting at the right hand of God. I know my righteousness is God-given, and yet I woke up this morning still with back pain. I woke up this morning still struggling as a parent. I woke up still struggling in my marriage, still struggling with sin and the battles. See, what Paul is doing, he's saying, here's how to live in the already and the not yet. Here's how to live, and he doesn't, the first part of this, if then you have been raised with Christ. Again, that's your status. He's saying, here's how to live as someone who's been raised with Christ, and yet still looks to the earthly things, still has that temptation to look at earthly things. Here's what to do. Here's your marching orders. He's saying, set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind. That, that set your mind means set your affections, set your desires on things that are above. As I thought about this, I thought, well, I have to kind of talk about what are, what's the contrast? What are earthly things compared to heavenly things, right? So I thought about this. Um, this is actually a passage that in student ministry, we've looked a lot. Uh, I talked about this in the fall. And one of the things I love about students is that they're usually pretty honest about like when they're discouraged. And so one of the things that the leaders and I talk about a lot of time is 
how are the things that you are spending your time doing affecting your relationship with Christ? Are the things that you're spending your time doing giving you life, or are they discouraging you, right? And, and I do it with students, but I also need to do it with, I am sure, adults. I don't have my phone on me now, but I usually hold up my phone and say, is this bringing you life? Is staring at this thing, is setting your mind on this thing bringing you life? And a lot of times it's not a phone, right? An iPhone is amoral. It doesn't have an allegiance, right? It's the things that we think things like that can bring you. Can they bring you satisfaction? Can they bring you identity? If one more person has a good comment about you, or you get a good email that you're doing a good job, if you look to those for life, is that enough to sustain you, to bring the hope and assurance that Paul wants you to take away? Spoiler alert, it's not. And so the earthly things, but what are the heavenly things, right? As we move on, look at the heavenly things. They can be summed up, I think, in one verse, Philippians 3.10. Here's what the heavenly things are. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. I'm going to read that again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In other words, what are the heavenly things? What does it mean to look up, to no longer look to the earthly things? It means further knowledge of who Christ is. Further knowledge of understanding what he's like. And so what does this mean? This means jump into Bible study, jump into discipleship hour, hear preaching, go to church, hear the word preached, learn more about who is seated at the right hand of God. Read books about him. Understand his posture. One of, I know the books that we've, uh, we've, we've advertised, we've, we've talked about is Gentle and Lowly. It's one of my favorite books where it, it talks about the posture that Christ has when sinners come to him. Just like a good doctor who doesn't say, I'm out of here. I don't want to get sick. I don't want germs. They run towards the sickness, and that's what Christ does. He runs towards the sickness. He runs towards what we mentioned when we see the problem. He says, I know you have a sin problem, and guess what? It is my will to take care of that. It is my will to deal with that, with who Christ is. And so as you think about this, I want you to think about, what's a good word, really the folly between focusing on earthly things compared to heavenly things. So when we were in, uh, we lived in Columbia, uh, Lexington, outside of Columbia for about two years, and one of our favorite things to do was go to the Riverbanks Zoo. So it's a really great zoo. Um, had actually like a yearly passes, and we went, I don't know, probably like 30 times over two years. One of the funny things that actually kind of frustrated me sometimes is like we would be, you know, at like the, the rhino exhibit or something, and there's these huge, massive animals, right? And that's why you're there, to see these big animals or the, or the gorillas or whatever. And I'd, I'd be just mesmerized seeing these, these beautiful creatures. And I look down at my kids, and they'd be like chasing this squirrel. Say, look, Daddy, a squirrel. I'd be like, that's great, but I didn't pay $150 for you to stare at a squirrel. And then we'd be at like the flamingo exhibit with these beautiful pink birds, and I'd be reading about it. I'd say, girls, look at this. This, this animals. And I don't know where flamingos are from. But, but this is about this. And they're like, Daddy, look, there's ants. And I'd say, our house has ants. You're here to see something greater. 
and it's so easy to laugh, but is this not what we're doing? Like, I feel like God is saying, you are here to see something greater. You are here to see the full heavens, to see my, my majesty, my grace, to jump into the ocean, and you're wanting to stay in the mud. You're so focused on earthly things that I have prepared so much more for you, and I have given you access to it now. This is what you live in. This is what you do. You jump into the ocean of my grace. And yet, like little kids, we want to say, but look at the mud. Look at the ants. And God says, I have so much more prepared for you. I have so much more that I want to teach you. And how is it that you do? You jump further into the knowledge of who Christ is. And Paul was saying, there is so much more that you're missing if you're looking to earthly beings to give you access to God the Father. You have Christ. You always will have Christ. He is the only one that's going to access. And so it changes how you live right now. And for us, I don't know about you, but I, it's like my heart is drawn to earthly things. And sometimes I want to hear the voice of God just say, Tim, look up. Tim, there is so much more that is in front of you. And this is what Paul is saying. And he's saying you actually don't have to wait until you're dead. You can do it right now. You can look up into the heavenly places. You have access to me. You have the love of the Father. You have the posture of Christ who has given you his righteousness. And yet, there's still something greater that Paul gives us in our last point. Stay with this. This point's like two minutes long, okay? He says, look up to see where you're going. Look up to see where you're going. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is saying, this is so significant that Christ is seated at the right hand. He started this passage that way, and he's saying, not just that Christ is seated at the right hand of God and you're there, but there's actually, you're going to see the face of God that you long for right now. And he's saying that should change how you think about the way that you live on this earth right now. As I thought about this, um, I, I'm a road cyclist. A lot of you guys know. You make fun of me. That's fine. Um, this past week, uh, I on went Tuesday or Wednesday. My workout, I had like two hours of VO2 max intervals, which are like just go as hard as you can for 20 minutes off and on. And I thought it was a good idea to do it when it was like 95 degrees on Wednesday, right? Um, but the reason I did it is that we had a, a friend loaned us their pool. Not, they didn't like bring it to our house. We just, they let us go swim in it. Um, so I left at 2. I was meeting my family there at 4. I started off the bike ride. It was 94 degrees. I thought I was going to die by about 2.15, right? I started these intervals. It was awful. But yet what got me through it was I knew that by 4 o'clock, and I planned it where that I arrived right at 4, I could jump into a pool. And I, and I, no one was there yet. I jumped in in all my cycling spandex. I did not wait. I didn't bring my bike, but I, I laid the bike in the grass, and I jumped in. You see, there's something about a future promise that actually allows us to go through suffering. You know this more lighthearted example? When I was in seminary, a lot of times in the fall semester, I couldn't stand writing papers. I just couldn't stand it. I didn't like starting it. I didn't like the research. I hated it. And so sometimes in the library, 
I would put in headphones, and I would, like, in end of November, some of you are going to, like, cringe, listen to Christmas music. And the reason was is that I was having to remind myself it's not always going to be this way. Like, I'm not always going to have this paper. In, like, a month or so, I'm going to be able to celebrate Christmas. There's going to be no school. There was a future promise that gave me motivation and allowed me to go through the suffering of what I was feeling. Well, how much more, if Christmas music should motivate me, should this verse? Ready? In case you missed it, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. For us this morning, we have to be reminded that that is our destination. That one day, that the glory of Christ when he appears, that we're going to be there because of our union with him. And so weary, worn out Christian, look up. Look up to see that one day you'll appear with him in glory. In conclusion, one more movie reference. Um, this one, I'm, I was really not wanting to admit that this is one of our favorite movies, but I think the illustration works, so I'll just do it. Um, the movie Tangled, right? And if you haven't seen it, I'm about to ruin it. Sorry, but it's like 10 years old, so you should have watched it already. Um, and I can't even claim that I, that, that I watched this because of my kids, because my kids just saw it like two weeks ago. So um, Tangled, in this movie, there's this, um, I think Rapunzel is her name. She's 18. Her whole life, she's been fascinated by these lanterns that always appear on her birthday. And so she has this kind of like obsession with seeing the lanterns, and what you understand in the movie is that the lanterns are actually set off by her parents, who she was kind of stolen from them by this evil woman when she was young, and, and so her parents are setting off these lanterns in hopes that their daughter will appear again one day. And the movie kind of comes, again, remember in the introduction I said there's always these, these problems, right? There's always this tension the movie actually is a weird kind of climax is at a weird point where at the almost end of the movie, she's by herself, just kind of in her house, thinking, ah, there's nothing more. I tried. I tried to kind of get more out of life. I saw the lanterns. Yeah, they were great, but, but now I'm still here with the brokenness of all the frustrations until she looks up. In this movie, she, she looks up, and what she sees is that she notices all the things that she's been painting her whole life is actually this, like, sun emblem. And this emblem is actually marked all throughout the kingdom. It's in the castle. It's on the streets. It's all the things that, like, the palace has. And then she has this memory where all of a sudden it flashbacks, and she's got this memory when she's a baby, and she looks up, and she's this sun emblem. And what does she see? She sees her parents. And in that moment, by looking up, she learns that she's a child of the king. As I thought about this for us, as I thought about this passage, is that not what we need to get us through? To, to look up and not only see that our identity is set in Christ, not only see what we're supposed to do now, but to actually see that we have been and forever will be a child of the king. That just like that verse in Romans, that no one can take that away from you. That is a status that has been declared to you. That's an indicative. That's a true statement. That's not a do statement. That is in light of what Christ has done. You're a child of the king. And Paul is saying, that is all that you need. That is all that you need. You don't need someone to come and to claim special access to God. You don't need more comforts in this life. You don't need the world's solutions for what you need. All you need is Christ. 
And thousands of years later, the church is still declaring, all we need is Christ. The solution hasn't changed. And what it does is it, it brings out passages like this even more gloriously because we, we've had history of seeing what happens when people reject Christ and when people add to Christ and say, well, maybe you need to give money to the church and maybe it's good works. And we can declare with one verse, we've, we've tried that. We've searched everything else. We've tried to, to live in a way without Christ. And yet we come to the, the throne of grace, continuing to say, God, I believe you. Because I've seen enough money in my bank account, maybe, or I've seen me have the perfect relationship or the perfect job, and none of those have satisfied. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, hold it up. Hold up your, your earthly treasure. Hold up what you're, you're tempted to stare at as an earthly comfort, and then hold up the right hand of God the Father, the throne of grace, and see how they compare. And which one is going to give you more? And Paul says, it has been and always will be Christ. So look up, weary sinner. Look up when the world throws everything at you. Look up when you're, you're lost and confused. I think 10 years ago, it was maybe harder to tell people that this is a dark world. It feels easier now. It feels easier to say that, that, that there's, there's real fear, that there's danger, that, that in this life, there's nothing that can continue to satisfy you. And so it makes Christ all the more glorious to say, forever will be always the same, holding you as the righteousness of God. Let's pray. God, this is the hope that not just we need, but God, the whole world needs. God, we know that as broken people, we continue to run to our sin. We continue to run to earthly comforts. We continue to run to things that you say won't satisfy, and yet we do it again and again. And God, in those moments, we rejoice that it is your hand that is holding us. That our posture with you was kicking and screaming. We're being enemies. We're rejecting you. We're spitting on you, God. And so we thank you that you kept your end, that you continued Christ to walk to the cross to be a sacrifice on our behalf, to rise from the dead, to sit, with, to sit with God, the Father Almighty, so that we are with you in the heavenly places. God, may this be a reminder of where we're going. Because God, sometimes we just can't even see the end. Sometimes we get so discouraged with what the world's putting at us, God, that we forget who we are, we forget what to do, and we forget where we're going. God, and this morning, would you allow us to look up would you allow us to see who we are, that we have the righteousness that we need to be restored into right relationship with you again, God. Forever we rejoice because of this truth. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.